When we're uh, through at the very end of our service, we want to have a special prayer for Rob and his family as they go through this uh, somewhat serious operation. And it has been mentioned several times uh, by some individuals today that God is in control. Aren't you glad? He is. And uh, but. He has taught us to pray for one another, and so we want to do that uh, as well. I do have a quiz. Is that a surprise? <laughs> you can either that, either she can move over there, or you can put a hand over her mouth. <laughs> okay, here's the quiz. Who is the greatest financier in the Bible? Who was the greatest financier in the Bible? You guys have been so sharp lately, I tried to maybe throw you a curve on this one. Do you give up? Is that a yes? Okay. The greatest financier in the Bible is Noah because he was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. <laughs> you can go ahead and say that wasn't fair. That's okay. But you got to let me win once in a while or I get discouraged. Anyhow, so <clears throat> I invite you to Turn to Acts chapter 16 in your Bibles, very familiar portion with the Philippian jailer. And uh, I'm all for families, and so is God. You know, it was the first institution that God created in Genesis 2.18 and Genesis 2.21. And... Uh, so right there in the Garden of Eden, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And, and uh, so he instituted the family. So does God work in families? It's interesting to me. And I taught preparation for family living for 12 years to high school seniors and uh, in Michigan. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's important to me. Uh, that uh, we know how important families really are. So we live in a day when people mock families. I don't know if you know that, and they want to redefine the family. You know, it's uh, in the secular view, it's no longer just a husband and wife and children. It's uh, quote two people who love each other, this and that, and they got all kinds of. Things, but we want to know what God says, not what the world says. So, Lord, I thank you for our time together here, and I thank you for the examples of these families in in the Bible. Uh, how you intervened in their lives, and even I'm thankful, Lord, for the ones who made a made bad judgments, and yet you did not abandon them. And I'm thankful, Lord, for all these truths found in your word. Oh, what a blessing it is to know the true purpose of the family. And uh, we're, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, God does work in individual lives, but He does work in family units too. And and uh, before before we even look at at these, I recognize fully that uh, there are times when part of the family unit uh, either rejects the Lord or don't care or just is not with it. And we'll see that in two families out of these four that we're going to look at. And so that's, I mean, nobody's uh, nobody's ignoring that. But I want you to see how the grace of God uh, worked in these families. So um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. Did everybody get a little? Outline? Everybody got one? All right. Well, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, of course, were in Philippi. They got arrested for, uh, falsely arrested, uh, because they were speaking the gospel and, and, um, thrown in jail. And before they were thrown in jail, they were beaten and, uh, uh with whips. And uh, so we find in verse 25 that Paul and Silas were in uh, the uh, prison in stocks. Now, you have to remember now, a prison back then didn't have carpet and air conditioning and three squares a day and color TV and all that stuff. Uh, it was a dungeon. And uh, so this is called a family experience, if you're taking notes. A family experience, and uh, the Philippian jailer, of course, is in charge of of everybody in his jail. We pick up the narrative in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And get this, they sang praises to God. Now, would you do that? Would I? Praising God, their backs were bleeding, there's rats running everywhere, it was just a hole in the ground, they were in stocks, and they praised God. And look at the next phrase, and the prisoners heard them. So if you're filling out your notes, here was the witness. The witness was given. Here is God's people realizing that He is in control, and that he has purposes for all things, and that uh, they were being faithful in witnessing of God's wonderful grace, the gospel. And uh, they were praising God, even in this difficult situation, and that had an effect. And that's when the world looks at you, when you're going through something very, very difficult, and you're still trusting and praising God, uh, not that you, not that you can't have tears, not that you can't, none of that stuff, but you can still praise God for who He is and, uh, your knowledge of, of Him and, uh, and His goodness and all of that. And the, and the prisoners heard that. Okay? <clears throat> so the witness was given. Look at verse 27. <clears throat> well, verse 26, you know the story here. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. Now, I don't know of an earthquake that can do that, but this was kind of special. Verse 27, And the keeper of the prison, 
awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in. He loved that spring. I used to be able to do that. Spring, sprang in, and uh, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. So the work had begun. If you're filling your notes out, the work had begun. The witness was given, and now this man was ready to hear what Paul and Silas had to say. And now we have the word received in verse 31. Verse 30, and he brought them out and brought them out and said, the Philippian jailer now, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, you got to do a lot of works. No. As good, I was confirmed. I mean, as good as confirmation is that didn't save me. I was baptized. As, as important as that is, that does not save you. But what does save you is faith. Amen? Faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Belief. Believing the gospel. Receiving Christ. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And not that those people in their house were going to be saved because he was saved, but the same message was true for his whole household. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord. Somewhere along the line, you need to hear the gospel message. And the Holy Spirit can use the gospel message, and uh, then you can make that choice of receiving Christ as Savior or not. So the word was given. The word was received, if you look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, immediately. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. What a day this has been for the Philippian jailer. This family experience we call salvation. They found forgiveness of their sins, eternal life, peace, purpose. You know what happens when you're born again. You become a new creature. And so here this family, which was not a Christian family, all of a sudden now they are. And they began their journey of walking with the Lord. I believe someday you'll see them in heaven, and you can talk to them about it all there, and um, that'll, that'll be great. But that was a, a family experience. Now, I know how this goes. I remember I was not raised in a, a Bible-believing home, and, and um, anyway, when the Lord put me into the ministry, the first church I had, a family visited and um, their teenage daughter uh, accepted Christ that Sunday. 
then their son, the following Sunday. And after that, mom and dad. And what a joy it was to see now there was a family. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And um, he eventually went into the ministry after he went to Bible college and and uh, and that he went in the ministry for a short while, and uh, anyway, and then uh, returned back to his uh, home home area and where he became active in the church there and stuff. But anyway, a family experience, and you probably know know that too. But what a wonderful thing when the gospel is shared, when the witness is given. And look what happened because Paul and Silas were willing to praise God even in a dark dungeon. Family experience. Okay, that's family number one. Let's go to family number two. We've got to go to Genesis, as my grandmother would say, Genesis. Genesis 35, and a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob wasn't perfect. You know the account on he was kind of a supplanter and a cheat. But he met God at a place called Bethel. And uh, there uh, he came to know the Lord. He ended up going to work for Laban, who was kind of a shyster too. And then Jacob, I think, tried to scheme. He was a schemer, even though he, he had met the Lord. Um, and you know the the thing with the cattle and the sheep, trying trying to get as many sheep as he could. And anybody knows that if you're going to steal sheep, that's a bad idea, right? <laughs> you're going to steal anything, it's a bad idea. Bad situation. Talk about bad situations. Here are four of them. Just think about a screen door on a submarine. That'd be a bad situation, wouldn't you think, Mel? Bad one? No. Here's one. A stowaway on a kamikaze plane. And Dunkoff. I'd call that Dunkoff. One who ejects from a helicopter. <laughs> That's a bad situation. And the last one, I was reading about this, a Hindu snake charmer with a deaf cobra. <laughs> Wouldn't that frost you? Jacob made these bad choices. Families make bad choices sometimes. And so I want us to look what happened to Jacob later on in life. Uh, when he left Laban and he wanted to go back to Bethel. In Genesis 35, verse 1, And God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, who appeared unto you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother, years ago. Then Jacob said to his house, Catch this, his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. It was time, it was time for a change. 
That's called repentance. In verse 3, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, where, uh, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. The first thing Jacob had to do, this is called a family renewal. Okay? First thing Jacob had to do was remember Bethel. He remembered. Jacob remembered. He remembered a better time. Listen, I don't care if you're an individual or a family. Sometimes through the course of life, and I've been in ministry for 47 years, and and I've seen this over and over. I've experienced this some of myself, somewhat myself. Sometimes you get to where whether what whether it's things that happen or uh, just because of the journey itself, you start to grow cold or indifferent. And um, Jacob remembered a time when he was closer to the Lord. He remembered Bethel, and that's the first thing you got to do. Okay, I remember. I remember. I was telling my wife, Carol, on the way today, there was a song that came on through the speaker system. And now I don't remember what it was, but I used to love it. When I first became a Christian, I used to love hearing that. What was the name of that song? See, she don't remember either. Anyway, uh, and I remembered, and and you know, uh, there are times. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not lumping everybody together, but there are times when some of God's people just have to think back. Wait a second here. I got derailed somewhere. I want to go back, and that's called repentance. In so Jacob remembered. Number two, Jacob repented. In verse two, he says, "Put away this stuff." Be clean. Change your garments. You can illustrate that all you want. What he's saying is, hey, it's time to turn. You know what repentance is? It means to turn. Spurgeon used to say, listen, if the Bible rubs you the wrong way, it rubs the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to repentance means that you have a change of mind about something. There has to be a change. They had sin in their lives. It needed to be dealt with. They had idolatrous gods among them and uh, uh, other things. And it was time to meet God again at Bethel. So he repented. And we find he returned in verse 9. Uh, that's the third R. Jacob returned, and God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandanarum and blessed him. And by the way, this is where he gets a new name. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. That's Al Shaddai. Remember that song? 
Have you ever sung that song, El Shaddai? Well, I know you have, Carol. <laughs> Anybody else? I bet it's in the hymn book somewhere. But anyway, this is God Almighty. I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply, and so on, and the land where I gave you. And, and so there was a whole thing here when Jacob returned. First he had to remember, then he had to repent from the wherever it was, bad choices he made, and then he returned. See, God isn't... I'm so thankful for this because God has his arms open. Do you see that little acrostic family there? See that? F-A-M-I-L-Y? You know what that stands for? It stands for forget all mistakes. I love you. So you should write that, fill that in there. Forget all mistakes. I love you. Families can go through things together. We don't give up the ship because of a bad choice or bad judgment or just whatever. We can once again surrender to the Lord. I don't know if you recall what happened in Jeremiah 18. It's not in your notes, but Jeremiah 18. God told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's wheel. Go down to the potter's house. And so he said uh, to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah 18:2, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So he went to the potter's house, and behold, he did a work on the wheels. Now, I've never seen that. Uh, but I've seen part parts of it where, you know, the wheel is spinning and they have a lump of clay and they make, you know, with their hands, they make vases. And Anybody ever seen that? See? Ah, there's one, two, three. Do I hear four? And anyway, what they did back then, sometimes there would be a mar in the clay. Just kind of try to work it out and... And the, we, and the vessel, verse 4, that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And what they did, there was so much clay, they just normally, they try a little bit and then just throw it away and start over with another clump. That's not what this guy did. Here's the next phrase. So he made it again another vessel. That seemed good to the potter. To make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can't I do with you as this potter? Can't I make you a, even though there's a mar, can't I make you another vessel like the potter did? You bet he can. See, even though he's talking about nations here, it's also about individuals. There is, my wife and I sing a song called Broken Pieces. We did for years. And let's pick up the broken pieces and bring them to the Lord and trust in His holy word. He will put them back together and make your life complete. Just place the broken pieces at the Savior's feet. I am so thankful that when this family got derailed, there was still a pathway back. Aren't you glad of that? Amen? Huh? That's the kind of God we serve. So, with that in mind, let's look at family number three in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. 
You've probably heard these verses. Actually, verse 15. When Joshua was leaving the scene, his leadership was basically over. He challenged the people of Israel. He stood before them and said in Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's called a family commitment. A family commitment. You see, it was a personal commitment. As for me, in my house. It was also a public commitment. He did it in front of everybody. And then thirdly, it was a purposeful commitment. We're going to serve. I always like to, when I, when I talk about serving the Lord, just being available for you, you being available for the Lord to use you any way you want, but do it with gladness. In Psalm, write this down somewhere. In Psalm 100, verse 2, it says, Serve the Lord with what? Gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Crabby Christians serving the Lord does not add up. Not biblically. Serve Him with gladness. Be glad that you have the privilege to serve Him. This commitment... Remember what I told you, the difference between commitment and involvement? I told you this a couple months back. <laughs> you don't remember, do you? Oh, you remember. Of course, you're the quiz champ. That's why. The difference between commitment and involvement is that is like ham and eggs. Remember? Hens are involved, but pigs are committed. Say, well, I don't know if that fits here quite well, but it does speak of commitment. Commitment. We will serve the Lord. So no matter what. Last family, Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. This is called a family heritage. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul said to young Timothy, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that means the real McCoy. It's not Pepsi, it's Coke. The real thing. Anyway, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandma, Eunice, and I'm, uh, excuse me, Grandma Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded in you also. It was genuine, number one. If you're filling in your notes, it was a genuine faith. This was a family heritage because the next thing is it was generations long. You had three generations here. Grandma, Ma. And Timothy. Where were the dads here? I don't know. It's not unusual to find families where one believes and serves and the other doesn't. 
It's a blessing when they both do. So I don't know where the dads were. I know in my first church, I had a host of dads in church without the moms. It just depends. But I remember very specifically one in particular and didn't stop him. In fact, uh, he went with us when I went and had special meetings up in Minnesota, and uh, he was going to serve the Lord, and I appreciated that. Uh, anyway, it was genuine, it was generations, and it was grand, a grand design. Listen to chapter 3, verse 15. Paul again talking to Timothy. He says, And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Who taught him? Well, grandma first and, and mother. And uh, a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These ladies went on with their walk with the Lord, uh, whether they had their mate join them or not. And maybe their mates did later. We, nothing is written about them. But I know one thing. It was a family heritage. How blessed we are when we see our children walk with the Lord. And how blessed we are when we see our grandchildren walk with the Lord. And it won't be without heartache because sometimes, uh, if you look at the bottom of your notes, sometimes part of the family unit rejects the Lord or is indifferent to Christ. And now write this in there. Never give up. God still does what? Answers prayer. See, never give up. And uh, we need to support each other and pray for each other this way. And uh, God does work in families. The family in Philippi experienced salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life. What a wonderful thing to be born again. The family in Genesis with Jacob got off track, made bad choices, and uh, he remembered, he repented, he returned to the Lord, and God put the marred clay back together. A family commitment, Joshua it was personal and public and purposeful and then a family heritage. And you know what? It all comes down to this, knowing, make, knowing and serving Christ the number one priority. Did I put that in your notes? I didn't, huh? Make knowing and serving Christ the number one priority of your Christian home. The key principle is Matthew 6.33. Remember what that says? Say it with me if you know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Should I do it again now that you know it? No, <laughs> you got it. You got it. God bless families. God bless you here and your church family. And we are praying, too, for the Lord to uh, bring Bring the man that should be here to be your pastor. You can keep going on. And and uh, what a wonderful thing that will be. And when you have a wonderful uh, potluck or a breakfast like you had here a while back, we'll come back and visit and, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And I pray, Father, that uh, 
we would be a faithful witness as our family is here for a reason, a witness to your goodness and grace and the powerful message of the gospel. And Lord, if there are those that have made bad choices, I pray that this would be the day where there would be a real renewal, a real renewal, a surrender, and just uh, to turn around and return to serving the Lord in the, with a real solid commitment and to create a family heritage. As the psalmist said, that we would speak of the goodness to the Lord, of the Lord to the third and the fourth generation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.